Um, well, here we are again, guys, today going through the book of John, and I'm excited to be walking through these scriptures with you again today. Again, the, the pages of scripture, they come to life in John, and it is such a thrill to go through this and to get to study this and to get to, to deliver this word to you guys today. So I hope that you too find the same excitement in the pages of scripture that I find just in reading and studying and just the little nuances that you see throughout scripture that, that really are exciting as we study that. So we're going to start with our gospel reading. Our text today is John chapter 7, 25 through 36. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. Who, he who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? This is the word of the Lord. So last week, we, um, we looked at the beginning of John chapter 7, and, and if you remember, if you were here, and I'm going to go over some of the major themes, we had two major themes. The first was taken straight from verse 24 last week, and, and that verse just says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. The essence of the statement is for us to judge with right judgment. And, and so it begs the question, what is right judgment? The right, the right judgment in this context is spiritual discernment through the will of the Father. So spiritual discernment through the will of the Father. On a very elementary level, the application here is to think about all the decisions that we make daily. From small to large are we making these decisions with spiritual discernment? Am I vetting my decisions through the lens of the will of God the Father, or am I vetting my decisions through my own will, through the things that I want to do? In last week's text, we see both Jesus and the Jews making decisions and drawing various conclusions. Jesus makes his decision with spiritual discernment, and the Jews make theirs by appearances. 
Remember the brothers of Jesus telling them to go to the Feast of Booths and make himself known, but Jesus responding with his time has not yet come. Jesus was seeking to do the will of the Father, but the brothers were projecting onto Jesus what they themselves would do. So if you remember last week, and I know some of you weren't here, the brothers encouraged Jesus, hey, go up to the Feast of Booths. Go up to this feast and proclaim your message. Like, make yourself known. Become famous. The brothers were judging by appearance in this setting. They were saying, this is what we would do, so we're going to project it onto you. The other example that we have last week was when the Jews marveled at Jesus' teaching because he didn't have any formal training. So last week our text said that the Jews marveled at his learning because he spoke as one with authority. They couldn't believe that Jesus would speak with such authority and understand the scriptures in the way that he did because he, he never sat through any of their formal training centers. He never sat under any famous rabbis. So they marveled at this. Their, their marveling was because they were judging by appearances. He didn't do these things, so how can it be that he has such authority and commands the scriptures in the way that he does? Another theme of last week was that we know Jesus' teaching is true because he is from God. And he only does the will of God the Father. He doesn't do his own will. He tells the Jews his teaching was not his own, but was from God. Jesus could have very easily, in this situation, just told them, Guys, look, I, I know so much. I command Scripture in the way that I do because I'm God. But he didn't do that. He gave a different reason. He told the Jews in that moment that he knew so much because he was sent by God. He was a messenger of God. And, and this idea of being a messenger would have been more believable to the Jews because for centuries, that's how God operated. God sent messengers to deliver his word. But then in verse 17 from our text last week, he says, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Here Jesus is connecting the head and the heart by saying submission comes before understanding. Submission comes before understanding. When we do not conform to God's will, our ability to understand and grasp spiritual truth is compromised. Or rather, unbelief causes misunderstanding. Our Christian culture is guilty of this because we overvalue learning and knowing rather than trusting in the will of God and submitting to it without fully understanding it. We, we've all been there, right, guys? Like we see that all throughout, even our, our churches. Um, I know for me it, it was definitely an issue um, for years. It's this, this overvaluing of learning, of knowledge, of knowing. But as we get to this point where we just have to realize we have finite minds and we just need to submit to the Scriptures. We aren't going to understand it. Like we can't unpack it in such a way that we have all the answers. And guys, we don't want it that way. I don't want to know all the answers. I love resting and knowing that God is in control. 
It takes me out of the equation because I'm going to fail every time. So as we move through chapter 7 today, remember last week we read the people were murmuring about Jesus. What they were saying is, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, he's leading the people astray. And it's this chatter that was starting to increase in the wondering, could Jesus be the Messiah? So the people were wondering, could this be the Messiah? The Jews, they hated this. They already wanted to kill him. So this continued chatter just increased that tension. It made them want to seek him, to kill him even more. One miracle that we talked about last week that the Jews, that put the Jews over the edge towards killing him was Jesus healing the man on the Sabbath. Jesus points out that his healing this man on the Sabbath is no different than the circumcision that they perform on the Sabbath. You see, they were mad because he broke the law. He worked on the Sabbath. They said he worked on the Sabbath. But yet they break the law when they perform circumcision on the Sabbath. And him stating that, guys, no one keeps the law. So we talked a little bit about that, that idea last week. Circumcision would always fall on the eighth day that the child was born. And so if a child was born on the Sabbath, the next eighth day would be the Sabbath. So, so they would perform the circumcision, breaking the law of the Sabbath, but to keep the law of Moses. And so Jesus is saying, guys, no one, no one keeps it. So t today we pick up with the question, who is Jesus? Many of the people were trying to decide who Jesus was. We hear that in the chatter of the, of the pages of Scripture. Could it be that he truly is the Messiah? And this is the theme of John's Gospel. When we look at chapter 6 and chapter 7 together, we can gather this idea. John works to show how Jesus is greater than Moses, who the people lifted up high. We see Jesus feed the 5,000, then he miraculously crosses the sea, where on the other side he talks about Moses, manna, and the new covenant. The people didn't like what he said, so they began to grumble and complain, and, and many turned and walked away in unbelief. Well, if you compare that synopsis, that, that little happening there with Jesus, with, bringing, with God bringing the people out of Egypt and into the wilderness, during that time, through Moses, God fed his people, they, they, they pass through the Red Sea, so they cross the sea. He feeds them with the manna, and he delivered the old covenant to his people. And what did the people do? They grumbled, and they complained, and they walked away in unbelief, unwilling to follow God and his chosen leader into the promised land. So now today we see Jesus at the Feast of Booths again. Just as a reminder, this, the Feast of Booths, it was a celebration to remind the Israelites that God brought them out of Egypt. That God provided this provision for them. And Jesus has met with the same grumbling, complaining, and unbelief that Moses faced. Now the Jews are celebrating God's provision of salvation here at this feast. And Jesus has revealed himself as the ultimate provision God sent to bring salvation to God's people, to his people. So Jesus is the ultimate salvation. So Jesus is showing the people who he is. Remember the people, 
Some of them are not believing. Some of them are, but they're, they're chattering. Could, could this really be him? Like, could this be the Messiah? And so through this, the people continue. They continue to murmur about Jesus possibly being the Messiah. And so the Pharisees seek to kill Jesus all the more. And then they order his arrest, as we see in our text today. We see the people continue to be confused about Jesus is, who Jesus is. Um, during my studies, I came across uh, a sh- an, a, an article at Bible.org, and I'm going to read it just for the sake of illustration. Um, it's an article written by Stephen J. Cole. He begins with just a short story and then gets into some other good things here. But um, the story goes, it says, A story is told of two old ladies. One summer evening, they were sitting on a porch, enjoying the peaceful scene. Now, y'all got that? So two old ladies sitting on the porch, enjoying this peaceful scene. One woman, so one of the ladies, was listening to the sound of a church choir a few doors away as they practiced. So one lady listening to the church choir as they practiced. The other woman was listening to the sound of chirping crickets. So one woman listening to the choir, one woman listening to the sound of chirping crickets. The woman listening to the choir said, Isn't that a lovely sound? The woman listening to the crickets replied, Yes, and I understand that they make the sound by rubbing their legs together. (laughs) I got a good chuckle out of it. (laughs) Um, If you didn't get it, well, I'll explain it to you later. It was funny. Sometimes confusion can be humorous, Steve goes on to write. But at other times, it can be disastrous. That's especially true when it comes to spiritual matters. Contrary to the prevailing popular view, spiritual truth is not whatever each person prefers it to be. There are not many ways to God, so that you can just pick whatever suits your fancy. Jesus was very exclusive when he said... And John, we're going to get to this later, John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So either he was right or he was wrong. You must decide. Spiritual truth is quite narrow, and spiritual confusion is eternally fatal. I really enjoyed that, that excerpt from his article because it just speaks volumes to the reality of who Jesus is. And the beauty of the gospel is that when we seek the will of the Father and not our own will, guys, the confusion goes away. We don't seek what feels good or what even feels or seems right, but what is right in God's eyes. And and guys, it's right in an absolute sense in knowing Jesus is the only way. Like as we search through the scriptures we can, we can trust the scriptures and know that what we're reading about the character of God and, and who God is and how he operates, it's absolute. Like, it doesn't change. That's what's so wonderful about Jesus and about the story of Jesus and about God and how he has revealed himself through scripture. My opinions are the opinions of scripture, My thoughts, my feelings are guided through what Scripture teaches, not through what I feel is right. I'm guided by the character of God. 
So now let's start looking through our verses today, and we're just going to walk down through a few verses at a time, and we'll, I'll explain some of what we're looking at. So verses 25 and 26 says, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So at the very beginning of John chapter 1, verse 1, the verse, that verse says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So from the very beginning, John is informing his readers that the Jews were seeking to kill Jesus. This was becoming more wide known, which is one reason the people would not talk about Jesus in public. They feared the repercussions. That's one of the things we talked about last week was the people would, would talk, they would whisper as a way to translate the word about Jesus, about, hey, could this be the Messiah? They feared the repercussions of the Jews. Like they feared what would happen if they were caught publicly talking about Jesus potentially being the Messiah. And now the people see Jesus speaking publicly and the Jews not saying or doing anything to him. So they wonder, could, could the authorities know that this truly is the Christ? Do they, do they believe that he is? Because they're not doing anything to him. So this idea heightens the tension among the authorities and they move to take matters into their own hands to squash the chatter among the people. 27 through 29 says, But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. In him you do not know. That's key. In him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So the general idea here is that the crowd, again, is confused in their concept of the Messiah. Jewish tradition of the time suggested that the Messiah would more or less kind of appear out of nowhere, kind of like a Melchizedek. Um, but Jesus, he has a family history, which many of the people around know. And Jesus' own family was at the celebration. Last week we learned that the brothers went ahead and went up to the, to the feast, while Jesus stayed and went at a, at a different time. And when he did come, he, come, he came privately and, and later revealed himself publicly. John six forty two, several weeks we went over this, says, They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Confusion. Scripture clearly teaches that we know where the Christ comes from. Micah 5, 2 states, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. So here, Jesus responds to the people with an acknowledgement to their judgment. And th this verse, verse 28, it, 
This verse, it, in various different translations where it says, you know me and you know where I come from, here on the screen we have a question mark. A lot of versions don't have a question mark. Some of this is us trying to decide, is Jesus being sarcastic in this? You, you know me? Asking a question, or there's a level of sarcasm there that we potentially could take in. Whether it's a question or whether it's not, it doesn't really matter. Um, but he is saying, you know me and you know where I come from. In this way, he is exposing their ignorance. Then Jesus proclaims, he has not come on his own accord, but remember from God the Father to do the Father's will, not his will. And Jesus then tells them, they do not know God. Jesus tells them they do not know God. Th th these religious leaders do not know God. I mean... How do you think they handled that? This was an audacious statement to the Jewish people, especially the leaders present. The Jews pride themselves in knowing the one true God, unlike the pagans around them. So the Jews felt they knew God, but they felt they knew God through the law. And through Jesus' ministry, he reveals how the law actually points to himself. And they do not truly understand the law. That is, they, they don't know God. They don't know the God of the law. If they did understand it, then they would not reject Jesus, his son. Those who recognize Jesus for who he truly is do know God the Father. Moving into 30 and 31. So... They were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, he will do more signs. Will he do more signs than this man has done? So here the authorities are now seeking to arrest him, but we see God's timing yet again, it prevails. And no one lays a hand on him because his hour has not yet come. Next, we see many of the people believe in him, but, but again, perhaps this is a superficial belief and not a true born-again belief. We talked a little bit about this last week, how we do see evidence of belief in Scripture that may not be um, a sanctifying belief, but then we do see belief in Scripture that is a, an evident belief that they are born again, that God has worked in them and formed them into a new creation. So there's still a hint of confusion here. So we can draw this conclusion by what they say next. So, so some believe, but then they say, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? In other words, yes, we believe you are sent from God, but we're, we're not quite convinced that you're Messiah because the Christ will appear to, to maybe do more signs than, than this Jesus has done. So again, we still see some confusion in the pages here. This brings us to the next verse about the officer sent to arrest him. Verse 32 says, The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So it's, a, it's reached a point where the Pharisees have now actively sent out officers to arrest Jesus. Jesus has continued to reveal their self-righteousness and their hypocrisy. The chatter among the people have pushed these authorities to the brink. 
where they feel they must act to silence Jesus for good. So it's, it's an interesting to hear the report from the officers. We're not going to, we didn't read this today, but we're going to get into this potentially as early as next week. Um, this same chapter, 46 through 51, I'm going to go ahead and read these verses because it's very interesting to hear the report back from the officers. So 45 says, The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? So, so the, they came back without Jesus, and the Pharisees were like, well, wh- where is he? Why, why didn't you bring him? The officers answered, no one has ever spoke like this man. But they couldn't believe the authority and the command that Jesus spoke with. The Pharisees, verse 47, the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law is accursed. And Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So here the officers come back without Jesus, and the Pharisees ask why they didn't bring him back. No one has ever spoken like this man, they say. How could we arrest this guy? Like, this guy is amazing. Pharisees were not happy about this, stating that they had been deceived and the crowd doesn't even know the law. And then we see Nicodemus back in the story here, reminding that the law gives a hearing first. So moving into just the final set of scripture from today's passage, 33 through 36 says, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Now, Jesus, before he invites the people, and we're going to get into that next week, he, he warns them they, they must decide to follow him. Jesus' time is coming, and he is soon going to be ascending. He's soon going to be going to be with the Father. We know contextually from the Scripture, because we know the whole story, he's ascending to the Father. The crowd responds again with confusion. What is interesting about these statements is there is a level of foreshadowing here unbeknown to the people. Later, after Jesus dies, is buried, and rises again, he is teaching his disciples for 40 days, and then he ascends to heaven. Once he ascends, the disciples come under persecution, and they're dispersed among the Greeks to teach them where eventually the message of Jesus will make its way to all people Revealing that this invitation is for everyone, not just the Jews. So next week when Weston returns, he's going to get into the, the following verses where Jesus extends this invitation for people to come to him. Today's takeaway is about knowing who Jesus is. We can see through this interaction that Jesus is the true Messiah. That Jesus is the Christ. He reveals himself through this text, showing that he is sent from God to do the will of the Father. This guy's like 
will you come to Jesus? Like, do you believe that he is the Messiah? Or will you be like those confused and chattering in the pages of Scripture? Do you truly believe Jesus is the Christ? Like, can we look into your life? Can you examine your life? Does your life reveal to those around you, and even to yourself, that you truly believe in Christ? Is Jesus the Christ? That is, is he the one who saved us from our sins and the wrath of God? Do you, do you really believe that? So when you examine your life, do you see that your, your life and your daily decisions are permeated with the will of God the Father? Are your decisions permeated with the will of the Father? Or are you making decisions through a world lens? Are you like the people chattering and only have a superficial belief in Jesus? If these questions are hard for you to answer or if there's any conviction in thinking about your own life and how you're making your decisions and the lens through which you're making these decisions, then I encourage you to, to take hold of that conviction and allow the Holy Spirit to work that out of you and, and through you so that the Spirit will mold you continually into Christ's likeness. Confusion such as this we see among the people in this text is prevalent. It's prevalent in, in our churches today. We see so much confusion. In our world, we see even more confusion. Church, let us not be a confused people, but rest in the absolute truth the scriptures reveal to us about God the Father. Rest in knowing that what we see in the pages of Scripture is absolute. Let us pray. Father, thank you today, Lord, for allowing us to come and be with you this morning and to read your word, to allow your scriptures to penetrate our hearts and our minds to allow us to come and sing these songs to you to worship you and to praise you because we know that you are the Christ we know that you are the Messiah we believe that and so God as we believe that may our lives reflect that may people look in to our lives and they see shimmers of, of Jesus may they look at us and see your character may our actions and our decisions reflect the will of the Father Father rejuvenate us today as we gather together with others who are like-minded. Help us to continually long for you, to thirst for you, and to find so much joy in the pages of your scripture, and so much joy in listening to the Spirit and listening, meditating and contemplating on the wonders of you. Help us to set aside the, the cares and the struggles of this world and the things that it throws at us and to find respite in you and only.
only you. Father, for those of us that need it, help us to learn to practice our own Sabbath. To put away everything that this world has to offer and to be satisfied in you. It's in Christ's name we pray.